Our sermon today is called The Exodus Pattern in the Bible Then and Now. So the Exodus pattern, um, you would think that I would do the traditional thing, just take us to the book of Exodus, do an application at the end of the sermon. That's not going to happen today. I just need to tell you that a few days ago, just about a week ago, I saw this little tiny post about this movie. And it reminded me of the time that Howard saw fit in discussion with other leaders to say, at the sermon time, I think we should show this animated video. Do you remember that day? It was an animated video by Steve Cutts and Moby. And it was called, Are You Lost in the World Like Me? Do you remember that? People were riveted by this. And it it went viral everywhere. Going viral has a new meaning now, doesn't it? Yeah, well, this movie is doing the same thing. And it's nothing short of offensive and over the top. Um, but what it is, it's a, it's a parody and an expose of U.S. pop culture, just like that animated video was. And because it works literature, apocalyptic literature is designed to open your eyes to what you don't see so you have a chance to see it and then decide, am I part of the problem or part of the solution here? And that's what this movie does. So I'm warning you that it's very offensive. Um, but I've seen it actually six times because I've been asked to comment on it. And if you can reach my Facebook page, I have a very concise explanation of what this movie is and what it does. And everyone that watches it, you have to watch every moment of it because it's all leading to a final scene. And everyone has been riveted by the final scene. Because of what happens there, what's said there, what's communicated by emotion there, and everyone that watches it gets the chance to say, am I part of the problem, am I part of the solution, and will I change in time? So that's all I have to say about that, and that led me, of course, to a Midrashic reading of Jeremiah 6.16. Yes? <laughs> so again, this is Midrashic. Just a part of Jeremiah 6.16. Stand at the critical crossroads and look around. And ask for the ways of our ancient heritage, where the good road out of, that is Exodus, is, and where the good road into, that is entrance, is, and walk in it, and you will find wholeness of rest. I believe we are at a critical crossroads for those who profess to be the community of God and Messiah. Are we going to be a part of what's exposed and parodied in that movie, or are we going to rise up and be the people of God God intended us to be? And in order to do that, it's going to require an exodus out of something and an entrance into something. And so I start right away by saying, what do we need an exodus out of in our lives right now to be ready for the reappearance of Yeshua Messiah? And you can never separate an exodus out of from an entrance into. So what do we need an entrance into in our lives right now to be ready for the reappearance of Yeshua Messiah? And then I want to do first things first. And this is in part to honor 30 years of pouring out of ministry by Howard in this congregation to get us where we need to be. So I call this first things first. 
and I'm reminded of the Californian band Toad the Wet Sprocket. And in 1991, they released a song, and their leader, Glenn Phillips, is the one that wrote it. And he was on the road touring with a very successful U.S. rock band. And he was married, and he would call home, and he would talk to his wife, and they would say how much they miss each other, and they want to maintain what they have. But being on the road makes you lonely, and how are we going to do this? And then being on the road and being away from what they had in the home, he wrote a song saying, I will not take the things that we have together for granted. So I want to tell you seven things as we talk about Exodus then and now that we cannot afford to take for granted. Seven is, of course, the number I chose, right? Number one thing we cannot afford to take for granted is decades of diligent labor to put the whole Bible back together again from Genesis to Revelation with the understanding that the Torah is the bedrock of the Scriptures. Number two, we can't afford to take for granted decades of diligent labor involving no mere tidying up of Christian belief, but a total paradigm shift to a Messianic Jewish worldview and way of life that says, I am now a new creation in Yeshua Messiah, and I have to bring that newness of creation to bear on every dimension and aspect of life in the nitty-gritty of our everyday lives. And that means it affects how I engage music, or how I engage movies, or how I engage U.S. politics, etc., 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 it's a new in Messiah worldview and way of life, not a veneer of Yeshua on a U.S. life. Know the difference. We cannot afford to take for granted decades of diligent labor to reinstantiate, give a new historical instance of the olive tree metaphor, a social and cultural reality in which Jews as Jews welcome Gentiles as Gentiles into a wondrous Jewish space. The two, Jews and Gentiles, having some differing responsibilities before God. Moreover, we who are Messianic Gentiles, we think, speak, behave, act, and live in a manner that makes the Jewish people zealous, better translation, or zealous for their own promised inheritance. Are we doing that? Number four, that we can't take for granted, decades of sound, healthy teaching and preaching with the goal of what? Transformation from one form to another, because all ancient Israelite, later Jewish, later Messianic Jewish, Messianic Jewish teaching taught to Gentiles is for the living Number five, we can't take for granted decades of whole Bible book exegetical teaching and preaching. Not topical sermons, whole Bible books year after year with their bearing on how shall we then live. And then the reading of the weekly Torah, Haftarah, and Berit Hadashah portions. Why? Did you notice that the Exodus pattern course is at the time we're in the book of Exodus? And now we're having a sermon on the Exodus pattern because we're actually in the block of Scripture in the Torah called Exodus in the Greek, Shemot in Hebrew. But the word Exodus will come to play big today. 
And that is to help us overcome the bits and pieces and verse-based approach in the Bible that we see in pop culture. Number six, we have been in a special season from 2015 to 22. Ask Howard, he'll tell you the story. When he came and he said, you know what? I'm thinking that God wants me to take the congregation through the book of Daniel next so we can talk about what it's like to have the kingdom of God in the heavens coming to earth forever and live into that while we live in our earthly citizenship. And I said to him, it was like uh, I was a woman and the baby leapt in my womb. You know that passage? (laughs) Yeah, because I thought, oh yeah, the Spirit bears witness with my spirit. We should do that. Well, from 2015 when we started Daniel to today in the book of Acts, we have been in a special season in which always the refrain of the sermon is how shall we then live seeing we see this and it's true. So it's the call to live in such a way as to give the world a foretaste of the coming fullness of the kingdom of God and Messiah, not to be accused of being just like everyone else in U.S. pop culture. And finally, number seven. This is from the reading group on Sunday nights, where we're reading Mark Kinzer's book called Jerusalem Crucified, Jerusalem Risen, The the Resurrected Messiah, The Jewish People, and The Land Promise. This is from chapter 5 the divine boule and the fractured euangelion, the divine plan of God and the fractured good news. And here's what Mark says. God works with the flawed material presented to him by human error failing in sin in order to bring out, bring good out of evil. Bring good out of evil. The people and its message are in fragments. But those fragments have endured and the pieces can still be reassembled. It is now our task to repair the garment that was torn asunder and as imitators of God show that we too can convert the consequences of what was evil into the ingredients for something good. We're talking about not maintaining the status quo. We're talking about the possibility of making this happen. And when I read this statement in his book, I just fell off my chair because I thought, wow, someone actually said that the pieces could be put back together. Why don't we live into it and do it? What would it take? What do we need an exodus out of? And what do we need an entrance into now? Sela. That's our first complete thought in this sermon. And now it's time for a Greek vocabulary lesson. The word exodus in the Greek is exodos, exodos. And it breaks into two parts, ex, which is in yellow, and hados, which is in green. Hados means the row, the way, the path. And ex means out, like as in ex, it, exit. So exodus is the road or path or way out. It involves a departure, a delivery, an outlet, an exit. And asados, or we could say asados to match exodus, is the Greek word ashados, put together as asados. And it means the road or path or way into an entrance. And in biblical scholarship, when they use the word asados, they're referring to the entrance into exile and then the exodus out of exile. But in teaching and preaching, it's become popular now to say, wait a minute, there's another use here. 
And that use would be, we need an exodus out of Egypt and slavery and whatever else, and we need an entrance into the good land and whatever else metaphorically that represents in our lives. And you'll see that the text bears this out in the Greek. So the exodus is both a historical event and a pattern, a paradigm. And you can follow all the times it's, re- it's repeated in the scriptures all the way to the book of Revelation. Because the final exodus is in the book of Revelation, and then it says the sea is no more. Because there's no more use of chaos, ancient sea, chaos. Chaos has served God's purposes, then there's no more need for a sea. And so there'll be no more need to separate the waters so that dry land can appear and you can get rescued again. There won't be a need for another rescue when the final exodus comes. And so it became a common metaphor to refer to just about any rescue, deliverance, salvation, or exit out of something, especially out of something difficult. And each new rescue is called a new exodus. I want to talk about historical event. I want to talk about type. I want to talk about antitype. Simple explanations are right here. No need for confusion. The historical exodus became a type. That is a person or a thing symbolizing or exemplifying the ideal or defining characteristics of something. And Yeshua the Messiah's death and resurrection in particular, but all else to be included, became the anti-type. That is the person or thing that is the ideal or defining characteristic of the symbol Exodus. Historical Exodus, Exodus as symbol, consummate symbol, death and resurrection of Yeshua Messiah. Thus, Yeshua's first appearance was the next to the final new Exodus. Because the final new Exodus happens when he reappears suddenly, like in the days of Noah, with no notice, while everyone's carrying on and partying as usual. And then we enter the fullness of the kingdom of God and Messiah and the new earth, and that's the end of the Exodus pattern forever. So, follow me. With Israel's exodus out of Egypt through Moses, God had established a paradigm, the pattern, for understanding the salvation of all his people, Israel and the nations, through Yeshua Messiah. It would be a grand mistake, therefore, to presume that the new covenant scriptures are but spiritualizing the exodus out of Egypt. For Yeshua's emergence out of death is no less historical than Israel's emergence out of the sea, and his resurrection will lead to the bodily resurrection of all his people when he reappears at the end of history as we know it, so we can walk in newness of life now and give the world a foretaste of that in contrast to the slippery slope it is on. Understood in their widest sense, Exodus traditions include, get this, not only the Exodus out of Egypt, but also the wilderness journeys. That's an amazing point, because that means God is so patient, he gives you time to go on the journey out of what you need to get out of with the goal of helping you to actually get out of it and make an entrance into what you need 
to entrance, entrance into. And the inheritance of life or entrance into the good land. God's aim in both creation and redemption, two sides of the same coin, is to dwell with his people in the house of his creation. <coughs> Excuse me. So we have here Exodus 6.6 6 and Exodus 6.8 and then something in the middle, 6.7. And what does it say here in Exodus 6.6? 6? But therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. That is yod heh vav heh And then we have lit up in blue in all three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and English, I will bring you out. And in the Greek, that's X. It's like X hados. It's X. And then it says oxo. And that's from ago. So if you wanted a quick lesson, it would be X ago. In other words, X out, go. Go out. How's that for a mnemonic device? X ago. And it's X oxo in this form. And that's the Greek word for I will bring you out. And in 6 8, it's I ace oxo, ace oxo, just like we showed ace a dust. It's I will bring you into. So God's rescue brings us out of, and God's rescue brings us into. We're not left going out. It's not let my people go. The concluding point is that in order that they may serve me, the two cannot be separated, the going out and the entrance into. And so there it is. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am yod heh And then in the middle of this is 6-7. I will take you to myself for a what? For a people. I'm arguing these days we couldn't pass a course on Community 101. We cannot be a group of people who once a week come together as radical individuals all going in different directions and then dare say Shabbat Shalom to each other and then Ve'ahavta with all of your heart, all of your being, all of your muchness and then face this way and declare that enormous word and then walk out and return to U.S. pop culture behaving like the rest of everyone else. That is not what God called to himself for us to be. And so I'll press us hard on what do we need an exodus out of in an entrance into to actually be this people that would so compel God to rend the heavens and come down and restore all things including the kingdom to Israel, including reaching the place where we do have fully resurrected bodies. We need a true exodus out of U.S. radical individualism and a true exodus into authentic community as the people of God. And now you have to go, how much more could this guy say? Aren't you glad Howard's here weekly? Exodus 4.23 we're now going to see the connection between going out, coming in, and let my people go in order that they may serve me. And that brings us to a legal connection where doing the commandments of God, following God's instruction, became part and parcel of who uh, Israel is and how we're connected to it 
uh, as Gentiles. So we have an Exodus 4.23. We're just reading the first part. And I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Because the previous verse called Israel God's firstborn son. And now we see, and you shall say to him in Exodus 7.16, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me. We usually think serve means worship. There's a whole nother context for it. And now I just want to say that God was seen as intervening, not like a despot, but in the faithful exercise of loyal, loving kindness, chesed, which would in turn impose lasting obligations on those on whose behalf he intervened. Does that make sense? You owe a debt of not just gratitude, but a way of life to the one who rescued you to this extent. And so what is the context of Exodus 20? What is the context of Exodus 20? You can feel free to speak. The Ten Commandments. Did you ever notice that the Ten Commandments, before they're given, have this little preface? And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Boom. Now here come the ten. You shall have no other gods besides me. The Ten Commandments are prefaced with, I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So it shows you that when someone does a rescue of this magnitude, you become the servant of them. And you do that not by mere worship, you do that by obedience. And that's why the instructions are now given. Because now there's a legal grounding of the Exodus story and the Exodus pattern. This brings us to Deuteronomy 11.26. Pay attention. I'm setting blessing and curse right before you right now. The blessing, if you obey the Lord your God's commandments that I'm giving you right now, but the curse, if you don't obey the Lord your God's commandments and stray from the what? The path, the road, the way, the derek, the derek Adonai, the way of the Lord. How? By doing righteousness and justice. Gee, that sounds like Genesis 18, 19. And then following other gods you have not known. Exodus 7.16. You're seeing it again because interestingly, you know, when we study the biblical languages, we look at this and we go, oh, did you notice this? I noticed this, so I put it in. It says, and you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Uh, but so far you have not obeyed. This is about Pharaoh not obeying. And if you go back here, these words for obey in Deuteronomy 11.26 are just a simple Shema in the simple translation of Shema, aku, akuo in Greek. It's just that simple. But when you get to Pharaoh disobeying, can you see that the Greek word lit up and purple has ace on it? It's, it's the word for hear, listen, obey with the preposition ace on it that means this. It's not just simply listening, hearing, and being a hearer of the word. It's being a doer 
of the word. So that Greek word used there is real specific and indicates that Pharaoh listened but did not carry out. That's right. He was a hearer, not a doer. That's an amazing little spot in the, in the text. And Messiah Yeshua was also seen as intervening, not like a despot, but in the faithful exercise of loyal, loving kindness. That is chesed, which would in turn impose lasting obligations on those whose behalf he intervened. And so we have, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. John 14, 15. There's no difference. Let my people go in order that may, they may serve me in obedience. Do all that I commanded. And of course, we have the explicit statement in 2 Corinthians 5.15, which explains this principle. He died for the sake of all, so that those who are alive should no longer live for themselves. That is the antithesis of U.S. pop culture and U.S. pop politics. That we should no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And now we segue into a, a greater thought and a thought that takes the sting away from having to hear such a prophetic word. And this is from David Dauba. You got to read David Dauba's history right on the wiki page and see who he is, what happened in his life. It's a fascinating story. And he wrote this book in 1963 called The Exodus Pattern in the Bible. What we're now focused on is the confidence and stability which resulted from anchoring the Exodus in firm legal relations, covenant relations with law involved. As God had vindicated those relations in the Exodus, one could be certain he would vindicate them again and again unto the last. The kind of salvation, rescue, deliverance, preservation portrayed in the Exodus was not, by its nature, an isolated occurrence giving rise to nebulous hopes for similar good luck in the future. It had its root in and set the seal on a permanent covenant relationship. Hence, it is something on which absolute reliance might be placed. He closes here by saying, Surely this particular quality of the Exodus pattern must have greatly, or of the Exodus, sorry, must have contributed greatly to the coming into existence and popularity of the Exodus pattern. By being fashioned on the Exodus, later deliverances became manifestations of this eternal certainty giving. That is covenant relationship between God and his people. And if you want a copy of the slide deck, you just email me at h Goulet, G-O-U-L-E-T, at uh, Gmail, at, I'm sorry, H Goulet, G-O-U-L-E-T, at M-J-S-I dot org. Sorry, the 60s of me is showing through. I have too many email addresses. So then we could ask, how about the word obey itself? If I was taking just a, a, a poll and asked, how many in general think obey is, has a positive connotation? I doubt a million hands would go up, and especially if it was children. 
I doubt children would raise their hands and go, oh, yeah, obey my parents. <laughs> I live for it. Many times in U.S. culture, obey has a negative connotation. And Al Asala in the Exodus Pattern Course rightly says, you know, well, it's who or what you're obeying that determines whether it's positive or negative. And that's true, and we'll show that in a minute. But in the context I'm in, I'm saying, assuming the context that we're highlighting about God and Messiah, uh, obedience could perhaps be better understood as responsible, Responsible, responsive, covenantal compliance. Responsive, covenantal compliance. You're so indebted for the rescue, you can't help but comply with the instruction. There is a dot to be made, you know, connect the dots between slavery, obligation, and obedience. I had the great privilege of reading John Byron's slavery metaphors in early Judaism and Pauline Christianity, Pauline Messianic movement. Um, several years ago, this is a 2003 uh, volume, one of the best works on understanding slavery from a biblical perspective ever written, and that was his doctoral dissertation. Uh, he's a good friend to this day. He's the dean of Ashland, where I used to teach uh, biblical Greek and New Covenant scriptures. The examination of slavery language in early Jewish literature in Greek, demonstrates that the terminology entered a new sphere of meaning. Slave or slavery could be used to describe any relationship or situation that was framed in the context of obligation and obedience. Check this sentence. Any observable act of obedience could then be understood as the service of a slave. That helps you to understand why people claim to be slaves of God and Messiah. And that was positive. You can't let your understanding of slavery, by the way, be tainted by just always thinking of antebellum South slavery. Antebellum South slavery. That's, that's not how slavery was in most of the world. And then I have just a few points from the course that make us connect with, a, with certain things. You can take the course if you want the full uh, Monty. When one views the evidence... One has great difficulty finding a culture in the ancient Near East that did not have the slave of God or goddess motif, meaning as a concept <clears throat> in that culture. With many examples being theophoric names, that means names bearing the specific name of a god, like the slave of Baal. The Tanakh shows strong evidence of a response to the slave of God motif in the ancient Near East, because all of the following are either called a slave of God by God or call themselves a slave of God. Abraham, the patriarchs, Israel, Moses, Joshua, Hannah, David, Nehemiah, Elijah, Isaiah, Daniel. You got the verse references in there if you get the slide deck. The New Covenant scriptures show strong continuity with the slave of God motif and add the slave of Messiah motif. You have Miriam, Yeshua, Simeon, James, better Jacob, Jude, Judah. Paul, Shaul, and John, Yochanan. How about us? Are we the slaves of God and Messiah or of someone, <clears throat> excuse me, or something else? The preeminent example is Romans 6 and 7. You know how when you read the whole Torah and you get to the end and you're in Deuteronomy and it's the end of Deuteronomy and the whole Torah, 613 commandments, gets summed up as this? Look, Today I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, good and bad. Therefore, choose life. I've said it a million times when I've taught. 
Do you realize that in antiquity, when you set up two opposites like that, like life and death, who wouldn't know the choice to make? But God is so Hasidic, Hebrew, Hasidic, English, <laughs> that he actually says, therefore choose life. He goes the extra step to show you the choice to be made. When you get to Romans, Paul sets it up. You're, there's slavery. Everyone is a slave. You who, McFly, anyone in the room? That's an old reference, right? <laughs> you got to wake up to the fact that everybody is a slave. The question then becomes, of who? Of what? And that's what Paul does in Romans. You're either a slave of God, righteousness, justice, obedience, that's the choices, or you're a slave of sin, unrighteousness, injustice, disobedience. There's no middle gray playground. Choose this day whom you serve. And that's why everybody that's teaching on this right now is doing the Bob Dylan song over again. You got to serve somebody. It might as well be the Lord. Why? Because he's the one that gave you the rescue and is still willing to rescue you before it's too late from what you need to be rescued out of. And so there it is, Romans 6.16. Uh, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, that you are slaves of the one of whom you obey? Obedience has to do with whoever you present yourself for obedience. What is that? Who are you obeying? What are you obeying? Did you ever obey something that was toxic for you and you kept leading yourself to slaughter like a sheep every day? I had a history of that. I've been in things in the wilderness process where every day I kept doing the thing that was wrong, unjust, you know, unjust, unrighteous, and leading myself like a sheep to the slaughter until it became like an addiction, a pattern in my life. You need the exodus pattern to get you out of the problematic pattern. It could be a personal thing like that. Or it could be just the way we behave as people, as U.S. citizens. That's true whether you serve as slaves of sin, which leads to what? Death. Or as slaves of the kind of obedience that leads to righteousness, and then he ties it to life. So he's doing the same thing. He's showing you that the Torah is all about a choice between life and death, good and bad, blessing and cursing, and slavery to one or the other. But make your decision quick. Because the new exodus for the new covenant is the next to the last. The final one, everyone's trapped in the condition in which they were in. That's right in the book of Revelation. Now no one can make decisions any longer. And then Matthew 7.13, if I was ever going to go over the top, boy, this would be the verse to do it. <clears throat> if there's anything I've seen in the development of U.S. pop culture, in the last however many years, since Moby's animated video, and if there's anything I've seen that the pressure of a pandemic that will not quit has done to human beings, it's to expose who, what, and where we really are in our worldview and way of life. And the tragic truth of it all from both apocalyptic literature and the Gospels is this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, 
And the concluding word is going to be few there be that find it. Don't be among the few there be that find it. Be among the precious stones that are few amidst all the clay, the image that's used in apocalyptic literature. He closes with, but now, in 622, freed from sin. And notice the net says, and enslaved to God. So you got to learn the whole idea of positive slavery to God. But now freed from sin, unrighteousness, injustice, bad habits, and enslaved to God, you have your benefit, your advantage, leading to sanctification, being made holy. And the end is eternal life. And then you have the preeminent example of Revelation 18. I was talking to Marguerite this morning. I said, you know, it's interesting to read Revelation 18 and then try to say, what are the 21st century connections to this list of cargoes in Revelation 18? But that won't suffice. We have to go right to where the culture is and use something in the culture to also say, here's another look that's like this, that's 21st century and hot off the press. So we'll look at both. Revelation 18.11. It says, The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. The her is fallen, fallen Babylon the great that made all the nations drunk with her wine. So don't miss the point that Revelation says it's possible that you're in a state of inebriation. You don't even know you're in Babylon. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over the fall of Babylon because no one buys their cargo any longer. What's the cargo? Gold, silver. That's first. Do you need an exodus out of some kind of love of money? What's next? Jewels, pearls. Do you need an exodus uh, out of some kind of obsession with jewels? Fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet. Are you all about fashion? Are you obsessed with fashion? Are you all caught up in the fashion culture? Like, you know, I have to wear a certain brand of whatever to be in, in, you know, in the in group. Is that what it is? Uh, what's next? All kinds of fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, um, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble. Let's just say, you know, the uh, home goods on steroids of our culture. In other words, are you caught up in the consumer culture? Are you, in fact, being consumed by consumer culture? And then what's next? Um, cinnamon spice and everything nice. Cinnamon spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense. Are you somehow just caught up in the vortex of all of that in a manner that the way you live is the same as the world and people do not see in you the foretaste of the coming kingdom of God and Messiah. That's the point of this exercise. And then wine, olive oil, fine flour, grain, cattle, sheep. Right? Are you some kind of foodie? You know, that is so caught up in foodie culture, you spend more time on that than the kingdom of God and Messiah. It's worth... It's worth repeating here that I got a phone call one day out of the clear blue from a former Greek student of mine who had told me in, in, you know, in, in seminary that he was a recovered alcoholic and told me all about that. So we have a recovered alcoholic person who is getting a seminary degree. And he studied Greek under me and he did real well. And out of the clear blue, years later, he called me up and he said, Henry, where are you right now? I said, I'm at home. He said, can you meet me for coffee? What do you think's the first thing I thought was, you think it was positive? 
I thought, oh man, he fell off the wagon. This is a disaster. So I asked Marguerite to pray. He asked me to meet his very specific coffee shop, the one that was in the bottom floor of where you used to be. And I went to that beautiful coffee shop, a Parisian coffee shop. And I sat there and I was trembling and praying while I waited for him to show up. And then he walked in, but I saw the look on his face. You know, oh, this is not a problem. Something good. <laughs> Something good here. And he walked in and he said, what do you want? And so he gave me a gourmet coffee and he sat down. He goes, I had to tell you this face to face. I said, what is it? He said, I entered the kingdom of God. I said, what? He said, remember when I was a Greek student and you covered all those passages in the Greek? And you used to tell us about, you know, it's not just about learning Greek here, learning how to read the Greek New Covenant Scriptures. It's about getting into the reality, what they're speaking about. And they're all about the coming fullness of the kingdom of God. He said, I entered into it. And I looked at him, I said, how do you know? He goes, because I never told you this. I have an addictive personality. It's not just alcohol that got me first. I'm a gamer. I come home from work in the afternoon, I'll game for nine hours. I'm a gamer. God's Ruach HaKodesh, God's Holy Spirit, will no longer let me waste my time gaming nine hours a day. I've entered the kingdom of God in, re in reality. After the 911 call and they revived me, I was fine. No. It was a wonderful story of what we're actually talking about. What do you need an exodus out of and an entrance into? The last one, or the last two are horses and carriages. Maybe you could say fancy cars or having a car that, you know, you think so much of. And then slaves and human lives. Human trafficking is the last thing on the list. And probably everyone here would say, you know, uh, of course, we're not involved in human trafficking. But let me just warn everybody, especially men, that if you have a secret porn habit that you're hiding, it is highly likely that the people in the videos you're watching are sex slaves. So while you enjoy porn, you are supporting human trafficking. And notice it calls this, to make us sick, the fruit you craved. This is the fruit that was craved, has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things are gone. And the good news is you'll never find them again. When the fire comes, it's over. So again, I'm warning you, it's a very offensive movie. The F word is everywhere. But it's one of my, from my perspective, it's on the plane of Steve Cutts and Moby, bringing U.S. pop culture an unbelievable parody an expose of what actually has manifested itself. And it forces you, as you see where this is all headed in this movie, it forces you to ask yourself, am I part of the problem? Am I part of the solution? What should I desperately get before God about to have an exodus out of before it's too late and the final exodus comes on you like fire that would melt you. Uh, we close with, of course, just a few passages from Revelation 18. He called out with a loud voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a lair for every unclean spirit. She's a lair for every unclean bird and a lair for every unclean and disgusting beast. Don't be inebriated by the wine of Babylon. Be careful you're not in a neo-Babylon her sins, 18.5, have piled up as high as heaven, and God remembered her unjust acts. 
In the United States, when we pick up the book of Revelation, we go crazy with it. We try to connect who's who and what's what and make it all that, including uh, calling uh, the vaccine the mark of the beast. That's what happens in the United States. But the book of Revelation, read responsibly, says, whose side are you on? Babylon and New Jerusalem. The lamb or the opposite. And are you in need of coming out of her, my people? That's a responsible read of the book of Revelation. If you finish the book of Revelation and you say, oh my God, that's what's coming? That's what's in ultimate control? <gasps> I've been living this way. i got to get right with God and right with the community so we can be who we're supposed to be so that yod heh vav -Heh would be inspired to rend the heavens and send Yeshua to reappear. Revelation 18.8, this is why her plagues will come in a single day. And that's what happens in the movie. You're just carrying on as usual, and the plague comes in a single day. Deadly disease, grief, hunger. She will be consumed by fire because the Lord God who judges her is powerful. It's a little bit of a spoiler alert, but that fire, that's what plays in the movie. And so there it is. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you don't take part in her sins and you don't receive her plagues. What do we need an exodus out of in our lives right now to be ready for the reappearance of Yeshua Messiah? What do we need an exodus out of right now to no longer be a collective group of radical individuals all going in different directions, but rather people who had a true going out and a true going in? So we could, people would say, that group, they're different from anybody I know. It's, it's almost like they're, living in another world. To borrow from the band Talk Talk, living in another world from you. Responsibly engaging everything in this culture, but in a way that everyone says, what are you in that you're really strong at this hour or that you're so positive or, or whatever? Why are you behaving this kind way as a contrast to this, this way? Is that us? What do we need an entrance into in our lives right now to be ready for the appearance of Yeshua and the Messiah? Let's pray. So, Vino Malkinu, our Father, our King, we thank you for this moment in history that you've brought us to. We thank you that your Hasid has brought us this far to this moment. And we lay our lives before you afresh and ask you to do an x-ray of our entire thinking, speaking, behaving, doing, and living. And by your mercy, show us what is it about us that we would need to have an exodus out of and an entrance into. And thank you that you are ultimately responsible for the going out and the entering in. We yield our lives to you afresh and ask that you would make of us right now in your 21st century history what you need us to be in order for you to rend the heavens and Yeshua the Messiah to reappear in the kingdom of God and his fullness to be here on the new earth forever and ever. We ask in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach.